everyone, welcome to episode 66 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, we're going to start with our usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes from the past week. Uh, it's been a little less this time than usual, but we've still got a bunch to get through. In particular, we're going to have a look at uh, Django, RunC, and SQLite. And then Joe and I are going to have a bit of a talk about uh, the latest speculative execution attack. And this time, it's not Intel for once. It's AMD. Uh, it's the takeaway attack. Uh, and then uh, just have a bit of a discussion about uh, some blog posts that the team have been doing, as well as the open positions that we've got too. All right, so let's get into it. So first up, we've got Django. So there was one CBE that was fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Ewan. Uh, in this case, there was possible SQL injection uh, in some GIST functions when using uh, an Oracle database as the backend. And so the Oracle database provides this tolerance parameter in relation to its uh, its GIST geographical kind of queries. And uh, this tolerance parameter uh, was a not being properly sanitized, and so it could then be used for SQL injection, which wasn't great. But uh, yeah, the fix of that was some pretty simple um uh, some validation to do on that uh, to make sure that it's just a, a number and then adding some tests as well. So that was fixed for Django. Run C was up next and there was two different CVEs that were fixed in this update and these were for Bionic uh, 1804 long-term support and for Eowyn, our current uh, sort of standard support release. And in this case, uh, the both of these were related to actually the proc file system. And the first one was a race condition that could occur uh, when mounting shared volume mounts between two different containers. And so what you could do within one, you could uh, replace proc within that rootfs with a symlink to uh, part of the shared mount. And then when that got to go and get cleaned up during the mounting process, you could kind of race that and uh, make it end up uh, mounting proc you know, into part of your, uh, your shared mount space. And that then meant that uh, because you've got parts of proc, which are privileged files inside the shared mount, they may not actually then be owned you know, entirely by root. They may be owned by a regular user. And so then a regular user could fiddle with things in proc. So as you can imagine, then a privilege escalation attack through that uh, wouldn't be too difficult to mount. Uh, pardon the pun. Uh, and up next, uh, they also had a fix for a vulnerability, again, related to the proc, uh, but where you could bypass potential app arm res restrictions uh, if the target of um, a, a mount was uh, to be mounted over proc itself. And so there were some existing checks for this to try to check uh, that you weren't trying to mount over proc, but uh, they weren't sufficient. And so, yeah, because of that, then you could bypass different app arm restrictions that uh, RunT does try to put in place by default. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just the fix for that was really just making sure that those checks were more uh, more detailed and making sure that the actual file, site, file system type was the proc uh, file system as well. Uh, and last up, we had an update for SQLite. So this was a pretty big one, 13 different CVEs that were addressed for uh, Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn. Uh, all of these were really memory safety issues that were fixed in SQLite, uh, and they were across a whole different heap of different parts of SQLite, so things like handling of shadow tables or corrupt records, uh, various parsing issues, um, handling of zip files, and of column optimizations as well. Uh, it should be noted that a lot of these were detected through fuzzing, and so it's not necessarily the case that they're able to be easily exploited, uh, but they are, you know, actual bugs and memory safety bugs, you know, that they do need to be fixed and they are important. Uh, but, you know, unless you are uh, handling untrusted uh, SQLite databases and that kind of thing, uh, you know, just a standard update would be fine. All right, so that's it for this week in security updates. Uh, so as I mentioned at the start, up next, Joe and I decided this week to have a chat about the latest AMD uh, speculative execution attack that's called Takeaway. 
Hey, Joey, how's things? Things are going great, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, um, so this week we thought we would have a chat about um, some more... You're just trying to jump all over oh. this topic, so I don't want to ask you how um, what you're reading and how far you've gotten on <laughs> ReamD. I'm 70% the way through ReamD, but I did, um, because I'm you know, waiting through it, taking so long. Uh, I'm really enjoying it though, so don't, you know, don't take that the wrong way. Um, I did start reading Kim Zetta's book about Stuxnet, and that is really cool. Yeah, so it goes into a lot of the detail of um, the initial, you know, kind of, um, so there was this, uh, I think, a Ukrainian group that were doing their own uh, antivirus, and they started noticing weird things, and they were the first people really to get wind of this thing. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, yeah, anyway, and it's, yeah, it was really, um, goes into a lot of detail, even though it is quite readable. So, you know, if you're not super technical, um, it is still quite approachable. But if you are someone that does like to get into the technical nitty gritty, um, Kim has done a fantastic job of making that, yeah, really approachable. So I would recommend that to anyone. Yeah, it's a great book. Awesome. I will have to check it out. Um, I am reading currently um, the, the, the Will to Climb um, by Ed Vesters. He's the guy who climbed all 14 8,000-meter peaks without oxygen. I think the first American to do that. Um, and uh, he's pretty cool. And his books are really interesting if you like the nerd out on, on mountaineering and climbing stuff. But I did finish a really cool sci-fi book, which is probably more in fitting with this podcast, which is um, uh, Will Destroy the Galaxy for Cash by Yahtzee Croshaw. It's a pretty hilarious sci-fi book it's the second in the series i think the first one is we'll save the galaxy for cash um so anyhow you should read those if you want to <laughs> read some sci-fi that's not dystopian um but yes now we can get on to the real subject of today's call and one day probably in about three years it'll be done reem d since it's probably what four thousand pages and i don't so know it is, it is left. super yeah, long huge. um but yeah, it, it is it's still keeping my interest it's good so anyway yeah so the real subject of <laughs> of this uh of today's podcast was um i guess the recent announcement from some of the researchers who worked on uh the original spectrum meltdown attacks that they've found like a similar kind of attacks against amd processes yeah they're calling that takeaway right i think that's the yeah. name for this attack yeah although it, it's interesting amd is not it, it's sort of downplaying it because they're like oh it's just the same as things we've already fixed and they're they're arguing that right now i think it appears to be publicly in twitter they're arguing that yeah, so it's it is interesting. Um, I think even for the, the you know the latest round of Intel vulnerabilities, people are getting, um, I guess they're losing interest, particularly in these yeah. kind of hardware-based side channel attacks. Um, you know, when Spectrum Meltdown came out, the sky was falling. You know, it was a huge problem, and it it kind of was in a way, um, in that uh, the coordination process behind the scenes was very messy, and um, you know there was a, a leak of it before it. It was public and uh, it, you know, it, the whole thing was a bit of a mess uh, and it was the first of that kind of thing that we'd really seen, uh, you know, this widespread mm-hmm. hardware vulnerability. And in that case where you could leak, um, you know, sensitive data, right, from processes or from the kernel and that kind of thing. Well, you said hardware. So that's interesting. This is different than our normal type of uh, uh, vulnerability that we address. Normally, I would say the bulk of the time at Canonical that we're putting out updates, it's a software update. And we get some problem in, in the software side of the code. But this is a hardware vulnerability, which takes a different approach to, to address, right? That's, we're, we're publishing Definitely. microcode to fix those vulnerabilities. 
Yeah, so the um, thankfully, yes, CPUs have microcode, which is, I guess, a set of um, small, a small amount of actual code that gets loaded um, either via the BIOS. So, you know, when you do a BIOS update, that will contain microcode there, and the C- that gets loaded essentially into the CPU to kind of patch the way different instructions work and things like that, or even to enable, you know, new instructions or enable, you know, different flags that then the operating system can inspect from the CPU. Uh, or we actually do um, microcode loading in Linux as well. So as the CPU is booting, one of the very first things that we do is from the init RAMFS, uh, there's a binary blob of microcode that we try to load as well. And there are different microcodes for different processor families and revisions and you know, it all gets very technical. But um, that allows then, yes, you know, I think people like Intel or AMD to change the behavior of uh, certain instructions. And so for different um uh, vulnerabilities that we've seen in the past they've added you know different behavior to certain instructions like the verw instruction in intel which would flush a bunch of different buffers that previously wasn't happening with that instruction and that then meant that we could do you know change the way the kernel works to call that instruction at certain points to make sure that different buffers were flushed and that you know sensitive data couldn't be leaked between processes or between a virtual machine and the host and that kind of thing um, so we are i guess kind of lucky that that avenue is available but you can't do everything through microcode and even if you do then you start to get these performance impacts and people aren't necessarily happy with that either so it's a tricky thing when you yeah let's say you have these hardware vulnerabilities because there's only so much that that can be done to try to mitigate them okay that is that is just a totally different approach than we normally take for a software but um really if we get down to like what i guess what specter and, and meltdown were um and then now takeaway it's it's all, it, it revolves around something we hear the term speculative computing, right? Yep. And um, speculative computing is one of the performance features of the kernel, I'm sorry, of the processor, because it says you're doing this. So naturally, the next thing you're going to do is this. So it tries to sort of pre-compute that. Um, and yep. that's where a lot of the attacks are focused around that speculative part. Um, so it's, when we disable this, we do see a hit in performance. Um, but I will say, whoever came up with the idea to pre to process the next thing they think you're going to do is a great. I mean, what a great piece of engineering! I would not have thought of that. Yeah, so yeah, you have these branch predictors and things like that that over time kind of learn the instruction access pattern and you know try to obviously be able to predict and usually at quite um, at quite good efficiency, right? What the next access is going to be, and in this case, I guess the problem is that if you um, if you can use a predicted value when you wouldn't have access to that, and that's what some of the original melt, meltdown and spectre attacks were about, uh, you know, that's, that's then a security vulnerability. But obviously, if it's not, um, it's great for performance because yes, then you don't even have to read the next instruction. You can you can uh, you know, have other parts of the processor prefetching and, and doing that kind of thing for you. Yeah, I mean, if you if, if it's to sort of dumb it down, if you're if you have a, a if you have a document open there is a good chance that you're going to um, print it. So why not already Why not already prepare the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the postscript file or the PDF or something yeah. so it can be printed? I mean, obviously that's not what the, the CPU is doing, but that's kind of an, I'll say, a easier way to, to, to understand what that speculative computing is. Yeah. And, and yeah, the use of um, caching, you know, we actually see similar things even on the web where, uh, you know, to speed up, you know, web page loading as it loads the web page, it will prefetch images from it, or it will even prefetch the pages that it links to, so that if you click a link, you automatically, you know, are taken there. And again, that could be 
um, that could be a security issue. Maybe there are kind of cross cross origin, you know, problems with that or mm-hmm. things like that as well. So, um, you know, all these different performance things uh, have to, I guess, have their. Um, like we often say, you have to think about it from the point of view of an attacker. And yes, this is a great feature, but how could this be a misfeature? How could it be mis, uh, misused or used against you in a you know security sensitive way? Yeah, and so takeaway is it's similar to that, right? It's it's another. I'll say it's in fact it's so similar that AMD is saying you should just classify it under the Spectrum meltdown vulnerabilities. Yeah, but um, I guess. As you said in the beginning, the sky was falling with Spectrum and Meltdown, and now kind of like, oh, another side channel attack. What was it? MDS was a recent, and then um, there's, yeah, I can't remember, Zombie Load. L1, L1TF, um, yeah. MDS, there's been a heap more since then, and have all been variations on the same theme, really. And some of the original mitigations have helped with those, and we've need other, needed other mitigations. And for some of them, uh, you know, if you are running truly untrusted code across, um, you know, multiple hyperthreads or sorry you know the same hyperthread you actually can't trust that at all right we still the only way to protect that is to disable um hyperthreading and so you know some of this is you know they're still real proper vulnerabilities but for most computing instances where you are running no one trusted code or in this case say you're running all you know software from the ubuntu archive uh you know that is very trusted um you can have a high confidence that it's not doing anything malicious and if you're, you know, don't have, I don't know, active web services that, you know, can, people can, you know, change the behavior of or whatever, right, then you're, you're in a pretty safe environment. Mm-hmm. And so you don't need to necessarily, um, you know, worry about some of these sorts of attacks. But it depends, it's use case driven, right? If you're a cloud provider and obviously you've got customers running whatever they want inside their cloud instance and you've got multiple customers using the same physical hardware and you're virtualizing across them, then you, you, know, you can't trust that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It it is. I'll say the attack is use case use case specific, but we're not. I mean, at least I haven't noticed a lot of exploits in the wild. I haven't seen a lot of proof of concept code that was actually that would work on more than just one laptop in this certain, you know, certain configuration and, and run as root. And we know the vulnerabilities do exist, and it's just a matter of time before someone makes a easily packageable and distributable vulnerability. I'm sorry, uh, exploit for it. But maybe that's why we're, we're not seeing it so much in the wild. So maybe that's, not, maybe that's why people are not only getting sort of fatigued with this, but like, okay, well, it hasn't taken down my network yet. So maybe that's part of it. Um, but, and Joe, as yeah. we were talking about before this, you know, we actually have the issue that there are just, you know, this is just one of, um, we have so many packages, say, in the Ubuntu archive, mm-hmm. right? And every day we are constantly patching um, other more low-hanging fruit vulnerabilities in them, and yeah, we do uh, basically so, so, two, so your attack two service is huge, right? Yes, yeah. You know, we have you know network-facing things that are you know much more open, and so I can imagine that uh, people look at something like this and be like, well, you know, this is really theoretical. It's you know, it's nice and interesting from a um, you know if you're an academic researcher in trusted computing and yeah. you want to you know be able to make sure it's uh, you know that it is sound and that you know there is no way for untrusted things to happen then yes this is a uh, it is a big deal but if you're actually a, um, you know in charge of a large fleet of machines uh, you've probably got other things that you're worrying about <laughs> rather than uh, this sort of and stuff this. yeah and I mean and not to, to downplay this but right now. I would be more concerned with like the latest 
vulnerability in something that was web facing than than this. Yep. Um, and you know, as as, as you said, we're, we're packaging about, about I thought we're, we're addressing about two issues a day as as the security yep. team. Um, so you know, make sure you're running your unintended upgrades. <laughs> make sure yeah. you, you enroll in live patch. You get your rolling updates there. Um, and you know, do you know? You know, think about these things and, and load the um, load the new uh, microcode updates. But I don't know. I wouldn't unless you're a special use case cloud provider. I wouldn't spend the weekend patching every single thing um, just to get this done. I would you know, sanely roll out your, your whole test suite and deploy it then. Um, well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Oh, and before we go, we still have a few um, openings on the security team. We've got a robotic security engineer. So as I think I mentioned on one of the other uh, podcasts, we're securing Roz, which is the um, robotics platform that runs on Ubuntu. Um, we've got a certification uh, engineer. So someone who can code and help us with things like FIPS 140-2 and um and common criteria and cis so we can help make um ubuntu meet these certification guidelines and then um we have a um someone who's going to help us uh, we call we're calling them a um Ubuntu security engineer who will help us you know with packaging new um applications and hardening them and working on some of our uh, our new products that we do around security um so someone who can do some python and some c and just package some things up and cares about security and lastly, hopefully this will be up by the time this blog post is posted. We are hiring another AppArmor developer for the team. So if you are one of those special people that can understand AppArmor um, at the code level, let us know. We want you because it is beyond my skill set, Alex. I cannot code AppArmor. Um, yeah. No, AppArmor is um, yeah one of our core uh, pieces, I guess, that we work on in the Ubuntu security team. We have uh, John Johansson. He's kind of the maintainer, upstream maintainer of AppArmor. Uh, does a lot of the heavy lifting on that, but uh, there's a lot of, I guess, feature backlog that we've been wanting to add to that. Um, and you know, this new new role is really for that. So if you um, have worked with AppArmor, if you've done kernel work, or maybe you've worked on other parts of the Linux security modules stack, um, yeah, we definitely want you to apply for this. Absolutely. And as you said, John is a wizard. So if you want to know more about app armor, app armor and kernel stuff, heck, I think people would pay to just be John's apprentice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So everybody, thank you so much for listening this week. We'll be back next week and have a fantastic week. Thanks, Joe. Talk to you again soon. And thanks again for that, Joe. So uh, something I thought I would do in this week's episode as well before we wrap things up is to mention a few different blog posts that the team have published. Uh, Two out of the robotics team, uh, Ted Kern, he's actually done both of these. Uh, They're related to ROS development. The first one was around using uh, LexD as an environment to do your ROS development in. And the second one was using um, GitHub uh, Actions for doing continuous integration with your ROS development. And uh, what I really like about these blog posts is whilst you know, if you're interested in robotics, they're really great to read. But even if you're not, uh, Ted goes into a lot of great detail about um, both just the underlying technologies. So the first one is a great, it's really a good quite introduction to LexD and how to use that and make it kind of more usable to set up a general development environment. And the second one about GitHub Actions is actually just quite a nice overview of what GitHub Actions are and the kind of things that you can do with them. Uh, so I recommend checking both of those out. I've got links to both of those in the show notes. And the third one was one that Joe himself put out actually, uh, which was about 
um, some recent tabletop security tabletop ex- exercises that the team has done and about how we do threat modeling as well. So both just a bit of an overview. And so, yeah, if you're interested in any of that, really, I urge you to check those out there in the show notes. And so as Joe mentioned as well, uh, we are hiring. Uh, I've got links as well to those three different positions that are open, uh, the robotic security engineer, the uh, certification security engineer, and a Ubuntu security engineer. They're all in the show notes too. Uh, the app armor role is still in progress. Uh, it should be uh, available sometime soon to apply for. And when it is, uh, we will certainly make sure you know through the podcast and through our other means as well. Uh, but in the meantime, if you're interested, yeah, check out uh, canonical.com careers. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you would love to get in contact with the team, you can email us at security at ubuntu.com or you can chat with us over IRC in the Ubuntu Harden channel on irc.freenode.net. Uh, we also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com and finally, we are on Twitter at ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, I will speak to you all again next week. But remember, in the meantime, keep calm because we've got your back. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye.